Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. And thank you for hitting play, joining me, and for the reviews. If you listen and like the show, you can leave a review on your podcast app. More reviews prove that you're listening and will show up recommending shows like this and takes less than a minute. My guest is an author of dark fantasy, paranormal, horror, and superheroes, which is a fascinating combination. She is a strong activist in the movement to diversify science fiction and fantasy and does an amazing cosplay of Captain Marvel. If you don't believe me, check out our website. She is a contributing author to the anthology Slay, Stories of the Vampire Noir, where her story, The Last Vampire Huntress, will appear. Please help me welcome Alicia McCalla. <laughs> that was an awesome introduction. Why, thank you. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you. That's a really interesting combination. So, dark fantasy, paranormal, horror, and superheroes? Hey, I, that's just my brain, man. It does that thing. It is really extremely creative. <laughs> How do those combinations of things come together? I just have a very interest. I think what my true umbrella is, is black science fiction and fantasy. I just love all of it. And so superheroes, and we're talking about the vampire hunters, horror stories, those all just fit with me. And most people who know me think I'm really sunshiny, sweet, but I really like dark fantasy. <laughs> I like reading dark fantasy stories. I just enjoy a variety of things. And so I let my creative spirit go. Right on. Are you ready for the six questions? I am ready. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? When I was 16, I remember going to school and the teacher was asking us, what did we want to become? You know, I was really upset about it. I kept what do I want to do? Who do I want to be? What do I want to become? You know? And I went to bed and I remember just kind of finding myself in that space in between being awake and being asleep. And I just kept saying over and over again in my brain, like, what should I do? Who should I be? Who am I? And in the middle of all that turmoil, this voice just kind of shook me. I mean, literally, I felt my whole body shake, and it told me to be a writer, you know? At first, the voice really scared me because, you know, we, we shouldn't openly say that we hear voices, right? <laughs> After a while, I was no longer afraid of that, and I knew that what that voice was telling me was correct, that I had to be a writer. So I say... I knew that I had to become a writer when I was 16. And to be honest, I probably knew it when I was much younger, probably 10 years old. And have you pursued it since then? Or did you? Or what kind of detours did you have if you didn't? I had quite a few detours. So between age 16 until maybe about 39, 
I kind of did some writing on the side, but you know, we kind of get into life and we kind of get turned around. You think, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know if writing is the right thing, even though I knew it was. So I went to school and actually became a librarian. And I worked as a librarian for about, I say 20 years, but right before um, I left librarianship, in my late 30s, I began to write. And that's the time that I decided to write commercially. So my first novel came out in uh, 2012, which was Breaking Free. And I have just, over the years, I wrote part-time and I work full-time as a librarian. But then unfortunately, my son was in a tragic situation where he disappeared from his Navy vessel. He was he was an officer in the U.S. Navy a couple years ago. I just could not return to the school system or go back to being a professional librarian. So I say that it was definitely a journey. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? So when I first started out, I had no idea how to write a commercial story. And I took these classes and I was going back and forth and I was confused. So I wish that I had known how to write to market and what it means to produce a commercial fiction story. I think I also would have loved to have understood a little bit better, like how do you actually research fiction markets better? I think there's so much mystery surrounding writing. There are some folks who just kind of make the writing process or the idea of writing complicated. But I think it's really super simple, especially if you do some great research and you kind of understand how does a commercial fiction story get put together? But I, that's what I think I wish I had known when I started out. You make an interesting distinction. You say commercial fiction. What kind of fiction were you writing before? What makes the structure of commercial fiction different? So I think when I started in the beginning, I feel like I approached writing from that artistic mindset. I think I had definitely more of an artist mindset. I was just kind of writing the stories of my heart and I was throwing in everything except the kitchen sink in my stories and it, it was just too much um, and sometimes readers really enjoyed it and sometimes they really didn't enjoy it so I kind of found this place where I think I needed to just kind of understand what made commercial story commercial so I would say something like genre fiction would be more commercial fiction even literary fiction, though, people consider it to be more artistic. I think literary fiction has a structure and a scaffold as well in terms of what makes it more commercial. Do you know what I'm saying? That does make sense, yes. So I, was, I was just structuring stories the way I thought that they should be or the way I wanted them to be and not necessarily the way a reader could understand it and get into it. <laughs> Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? So good. So I am a native Detroiter, and I always come home, go to the bread basket, and get my corned beef sandwich 
it's called a rose line, really. And so what it is is corned beef and coleslaw on an onion roll with a pickle. Not not a new pickle. I like the old pickles, right? <laughs> Those are absolutely delicious. Now, my husband, on the other hand, he loves he loves Coney dogs. And I know you could get Coney dogs all over the East Coast. But there's no Coney dogs like Coney in Detroit, too. So between those two. But mostly for me, I like the Roseline corned beef sandwich. Question number four. What are you curious about? I'm thinking on this. What am I curious about? Because you know what? What am I not curious about? You just said it. You're like, you know, superheroes, you do the vampire hunters. I'm curious about everything, man. It's a little intense. But I think right now I'm really fascinated with genetic editing and the implications of what that means on the human race. I'm, I've just been kind of wondering if this tampering with our genetics, and you know what, will it produce these superhumans? And if it does, Will we be able to survive with these special abilities? I mean, there's a lot going on right now that people just simply aren't talking about. You know, you've got the not only genetic editing, you've got designer vitamins, you've got even designer DNA. But anyway, that genetic editing and the implications, this is sort of the premise that I'm working on for my upcoming superhero series. And I'm hoping to create something that's uh, not only action-packed, but something that's intriguing for readers. I had never heard of genetic editing. What exactly is that? Do you know, you probably have. Do you know how people kind of make these designer babies where you could go in and they slice the DNA in different ways and so they could change the eye color or change the hair color you know, if the child has a certain genetic disposition, they can find ways to go all the way down and take out any genetic anomalies or flaws that might, you know, that might show up in an embryo. It's kind of interesting, actually. <laughs> Don't go down a rabbit hole with me because <laughs> I'll take you there, man. I was like, what? <laughs> Some of the stuff that you're reading and we think of it as science fiction, but a lot of things that are science fiction are now becoming reality. And so this, these kinds of things have an impact on humans. And especially within the next 50 to 100 years, things may be very, very different for the human race with these kinds of changes. I did not know we were actually doing that now that's incredible yes we are getting to the part where people are making designer babies it's still in its infancy stage but dangerously close to being able to change the the face of you know i mean it's kind of like in a way so we're you know we have that certain gene so maybe you want your baby to be darker or maybe you want your baby to be lighter or maybe you want your baby to have blue eyes. I mean, people are able to do these things. And I don't want my kid to have diabetes like what I had. So maybe I can edit that out. <laughs> it's dangerous, right? We think of it as dangerous, but it's also absolutely fast, 
fascinating in a Frankenstein sort of way. Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? Maybe what makes me different. I think all my life, I've never really been like everyone else around me. I don't really think deep inside I ever wanted to be like everybody else. I feel like I've always been someone who literally thinks outside the box. Sometimes I I come out of the box. I find comfort in that. I accept it. When I was younger, I was different, but I didn't really accept who I was. But since I've lost so much, I've got to this place where I'm accepting me of who I am. I find comfort in just being who I am and being different and, and accepting me for who I am. I hope other people accept themselves for who they are, too. What do you think makes you different? I would be the person that does deep, intense meditation, go to the meditation retreat. And I'll be the person, like we're talking about, I'm also going to eat me some barbecue down straight up in the hood, right? (laughs) I could just find myself in these vast environments, dealing with different people, but just being me whatever that means. And I think that for me, you know what? If I want to dress up for my birthday and be a fairy, do some cosplay like you were talking about, you know, today I could be a fairy. Yesterday I was Captain Marvel. I could be Shuri. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? I could be whoever I choose to be. And then I don't even have to dress up to do it. I could just be that in my brain, in my head, and just have lots of fun with that. I find that my imagination is what makes me very different than most. I just don't look at the world the same way, and I just see things in a unique view. Speaking of unique, your story, The Last Vampire Huntress, is the first story of the authors that I've, in- that I've interviewed for Slay. Yours is the first one that is mentioned, Vampire Hunters. So tell us about your story. Okay, I'll give you the elevator pitch. Is that good? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> okay. All right. When a vampire huntress finds a bloody butcher knife note stuck in her apartment door, she must stop her vampire ex-boyfriend from killing all the hunters in the guild or face fulfilling a terrible prophecy. Quite a bit to unpack there. First of all, what is a vampire hunter doing with a vampire as a significant other? What does it take to get into a vampire hunter's guild? And is there more than one? Are any of those questions answered? Yes. (laughs) They are. I will say this also because I am really fascinated with African mythology. And so... This last vampire huntress is a descendant of the daughters of Oshun, and her family crest is that of Oshun and a vulture. That is dope. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's so cool. <laughs> I hope you like it. <laughs> if somebody was getting into African mythology, where do you suggest they start? Like what kind of books or websites or anything like that? 
you're right. I mean, African mythology is huge. I know there are those people who say that Egypt is not part of Africa, which is crazy. <laughs> it is very much a part of Africa. You can go all the way from Egyptian mythology all the way down to South African mythology, you know. Um, lately, though, when I did my DNA test, I became really, really fascinated with West African mythology in particular. But lots of gods and goddesses that are in West Africa. I guess in certain parts of Brazil, you know, they study um, the Orisha. There's so much stuff there. But there is one book, I know it sounds kind of crazy, it's a kid's book, and it's called African Mythology. <laughs> it's really this tiny, itty-bitty little book. But it has all of these basics in there that are fantastic to kind of give you an overview. I generally find that a lot of African Americans, we are just so, I want to say desensitized. We just understand Greek and Roman mythology better than we do West African or any African mythology. I usually seek to change that, you know, because we have these fantastic cultural roots in West Africa and particularly in the mythology that are just some very rich stories that I, I think we need to come to, to embrace and come to learn. There's some good books out there that have some great African mythology. I think sometimes we, as adults, we go right to the adult books and try to get into them and read them. But sometimes the kids' books are really good. I do have one more. Let me see, because I'm in my office. Because, you know, I do a lot of research. And this one is called The Tarot of the Orishas. It's by Zorak Durkan. And so it's written in both English and in Spanish. And it goes through all of the different, all of the different gods and goddesses. You do know I originally was a librarian, right? So I have like books like the Lord. We could talk books forever. Question number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? It would be Black Girl Magic Day. <laughs> to commemorate all those sisters out there who defy the odds. It's just so many. And I think black women just need to have a day where we're commemorated just for being magical. The power in that. Black girl magic day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what are we doing to celebrate black girl magic day? We could see all those black girls, those black women out there who are doing phenomenal things. Ida B. Wells and Shirley Chisholm. Of course, we could talk about modern day black women like Serena Williams. I feel like we could just go the gamut because there's a lot of black girl magic out there. What kind of things could we do to celebrate? Like, you know, we want you know, want it to be want, we want it to be a big thing, right? Like, what can like yeah. some kind of parties, or do we have like uh, do we what kind of you know we I know what kind of conversation I I can guess what kind of conversations we can have, but like like what would be like uh, this or ceremony or like yeah that kind of stuff. You know, with Christmas we have the Christmas tree, we have the giving of presents with Valentine's Day, we have. 
giving everybody diabetes with sugar and spending too much money on right? spending too much money on flowers oh, and things like that. So that's like intense. I mean, it could be maybe all the black women who have been leaders. We could switch it all around, and they can make little dolls of everybody. I wouldn't say everybody gets a Barbie, but because you know that's kind of uncool, Barbie. I like Barbie though. I shouldn't say that. I do like Barbie, <laughs> but dolls of dolls of these black women to commemorate them. Wouldn't a black girl magic tree be really cool? <laughs> and you could put like the different ornaments on it, and everyone has like a a special ornament to celebrate the black women in their lives. I mean, even literally, like you know, my grandma. She just passed away from COVID in May. And one thing about my grandma is her and her sisters. It was my great grandma. And then she had those girls. I mean, I'm telling you, those black women were just fierce and intense. My one Aunt Marianne, she became a minister before it was cool to be for a woman to be a minister. My Aunt Helen was a, a nurse. My Aunt Marie. She was a teacher, and my grandma, I swear to you, she was like one of the first feminists. She was like one of the first women to talk to me about what it meant to be empowered. It could really just be that, just commemorating those women in our lives, our daily lives, who have provided us with survival techniques, how to live, how to be, giving them their respect. This is the part where you tell tell all the listeners where we can find you and how we can buy your books. Yes, sir. I will. If you come to my website, www.aliciamacalla.com, you can sign up for my newsletter. I sell books on all the platforms. Um, I also will be starting to sell my books direct. And in a couple of months, I am going to begin to release Black Science Fiction and Fantasy merchandise. So people can go there and take a look at my merchandise as well. And you can see the cosplay that I was talking about before. She it looks amazing as Captain Marvel. <laughs> yes, my cosplay is there. I just redid my website and I was cosplaying as Shuri. So I had the web designer put me on there as Shuri and doing the Wakanda forever. And so now that just completely takes on a whole other feeling. But uh, I meant it in that way. And so I'm going to leave that header just that way. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Thank you for having me. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, take another two minutes, log on to Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded this, leave a five-star rating and a review. It would help the show grow. Remember, you can contact me at Does all one word, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you have a question or suggestion, you can also contact me at Does once again, all one word, at gmail.com. Next week's guest is an award-winning fiction writer, poet, and editor, and she was recently honored for her contributions to the fantasy genre. She also is contributing to the anthology that I'm really looking forward to, Slay, Stories of the Vampire Noir, Next week, I'll be talking with Cherie Renee Thomas. So until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, live.